Okay, so we're gonna... I'm recording. I'm recording. I've been recording. Okay. Hello. Welcome to 2018. What up? It's gonna be so great. Oh, God. Um, (laughs) This is our year. Yep. This is Book Squad Goals. I'm Kelly. Uh, Everyone want to introduce themselves so that everyone knows what your voice sounds like? I'm Emily. This is what my voice sounds like. This is my voice. I'm Mary. I'm Susan. I sound generally like this most of the time. Yeah, cool. I wonder if anyone out there is still, I mean, I guess there's always new listeners, but I wonder if anyone out there is like, you know, I still just don't have the voices down. I mean, I think it's quite possible. Every time you talk, you have to say your name. It's like yeah. the first day of class. We're just going to jump in to this because uh, we don't want to, you know, spend three <laughs> hours doing it. But uh, so on this episode. <laughs> well, we want to, but. Yeah, well, we want to, we but can't. we don't want to you know, ruin your life. So <laughs> yes. uh, we decided that to start off the new year, we're just going to talk about um, some of our favorite <laughs> pop culture slash whatever culture things yeah. of um, 2017 because it was a terrible year. So we're just trying to reflect and think, you know, maybe there was one good thing that happened, this thing that came out or whatever. Um, and then – for the second half of the episode, we have Susan doing an interview with author James Markert. So stick around for that also. Um, but yeah, let's just get started with this. So we're going to go in alphabetical order, and we're going to do three picks each, um, starting with our third and then going down to our number one. So like our top three. Yeah. Our top three faves of 2017. Yes. Uh, so I'm Emily. My name is first. And I'm like... <laughs> That's so stressful. Uh, Okay. You have three minutes. Go. (laughs) I'm like kind of, my heart's kind of pounding. So the first thing that I picked, or my number three pick, I guess, not the first thing, my third thing that I picked um, was When Dimple Met Rishi by Sandhya Menon. And um, so I guess the, the three things I picked all kind of are thematically linked in my brain a little bit um because 2017 was like a really really bad year for me and um the three things i picked kind of uh were um comforting to me in some sort of way this year because that's really what i needed more than anything else this year um and so when dimple met rishi is a young adult novel that came out this year and it's very lighthearted material it's sort of it's been compared to like what what would it would be like if someone made a bollywood movie into a young adult novel um and i love bollywood movies so i mean i love that yeah so i was like i'm here for it also the cover features a girl drinking iced coffee which like immediately i relate (laughs) um so i was like there for it you know but this book is about this girl named Dimple who comes from a very traditional Indian family and her mom, like, all she really cares about is, like, her finding a nice Indian husband and settling down. She's 18, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but all Dimple really wants to do is um, go to coding camp and become a coder. She has this idea for an app that would help people who have to take medications and like have to generally like look look after their help their health um sort of like help them take care of themselves but also like make it fun rather than a chore so that's sort of like the basis for her app um so all she really wants to do is like go to this camp work on her app sort of like start becoming like a real coder now that she's graduated from high school but 
her parents, uh, without her knowledge, have uh, set up an arranged marriage for her. No! And the guy... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the guy that they have uh, set up this arranged marriage with, Rishi, is also just graduating. And uh, he's going to go to the camp, too. <gasps> yeah. But Dimple doesn't know that Rishi's going to the camp, but Rishi knows. So... You know, hilarity ensues. Oh my god. Classic sitcom uh, scenario. Classic sitcom sitcom scenario. I think um, a, a scene from really early on in the novel that's not really giving anything away is um, ah! when Rishi first sees Dimple. Obviously, he knows who she is, but she doesn't know who he is. And he thinks that she knows who he is. So she's drinking her iced coffee and he walks up to her and is like, Hello to my future wife. Are you ready to start our lives together? And smooth. You know, as a girl, if a strange man walks up to you and says that, it kind of freaks you out. So what does she do? She throws her iced coffee at him and runs away. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, I mean, like, that just kind of, like, sets the mood for the story. Like, it's a really fun story. Um, I really like that this is a story about teenagers um, where, like... I don't know, like, family is really important to the both of them, and um, they're both really, uh, like, they're very practical about romance, right? They're 18-year-olds, so I don't think there's, like, even though their parents are, like, they're going to get married and live together forever, um, their own personal uh, opinions about, you know, what's going to happen to them in the next 10 years or whatever is much more, like, practical, which I think is really cool because I get so tired of reading um, teenage romance stories where it's, like... I'm never going to love like this again. And this is everything like they have their own shit going on, which I really appreciate. So precocious teen <laughs> drama. Yeah. Yeah. This was much more realistic, which I appreciated, but also it was really fun. So it's a good mix of both. So I really enjoyed this. And yeah. Cool. I want to check that out. Yeah. Okay. So I'm Kelly, as said before, and my name is second alphabetically out of the four of our names. Um <laughs> Welcome, Kelly. Thank you. So my number three <laughs> choice is something that is not going to be new to probably a lot of people, but it was very near and dear to my heart this year, which is Lord's album Melodrama. Um, I am obsessed with this album. I have listened to it so many times. And the thing is, like, I'm not a person who really listens to a lot of pop music. Like, people who know me know that I'm a huge snob about music and think I'm an asshole. Um, but I was really excited to hear this album because like it's a it's a totally a pop album that I could just like get on board with right away. There's no song in the whole album that I want to skip over. Like I just listened to it all the way through over and over again. And it's really great because I think it's like an album that's very self-aware about what it's like to be a super young person who has a relationship that is probably not going to last forever. Lord, I think, is, like, 22 now or something, or, like, 21 or something, but I feel like a lot of this comes from, like, an almost teenage perspective, and I wish that I would have had this album to listen to when I was a teenager, because it is very relatable in that sense, but also super specific, Um, and there are just some really... Like, I think the thing about this that was, like, the most impressive to me was, like, I listened to it when I was, like, getting into the beginning of a relationship, and I was – I loved it, and I was, like, I relate to all this so much. I'm, like, you know, getting together with this person, and it feels really great. And I just recently 
uh, ended as sort of a relationship, kind of. Um, <laughs> but it's been really great to listen to for that, too. So it's an album that you can listen to. We're all frowning. Oh, yeah. Uh, but it's an album that you can listen to. We, we didn't know that, Kelly. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah, sorry. I'm sorry. It's a thing. Um, aside from that, uh, it's really... A, an album that you can listen to when you get into one a relationship or when you get out of one and it is just as, as like uh, resonant so I love it and I think it's wonderful and amazing and everyone should listen to it if they haven't already but probably a lot of people have <laughs> I haven't oh my god you guys have to yeah it's so good it's so I good. also have not I never listen to anything so I haven't and I'm excited to yeah it's it's also great like catchy music too it's not just like because a lot of the music i listen to is like sad like you know folksy (laughs) indie music that a lot of people are like i don't care about this but this is like super fun to listen to even as it is sad in some ways and it feels very universal in certain ways so yeah cool check it out i'm mary it's you and uh (laughs) My number three is kind of a rando thing. It's a TV show, um, and you're probably expecting me to say Riverdale, which if I was being honest, Riverdale would probably be on here. But we talk about Riverdale so much. There's no need. There's no need to talk about Riverdale anymore. And yet here you are. I already talk about it. (laughs) But these are (laughs) dishonest. But my, my number three is a TV show, The Bold Type, that comes on Freeform. Formerly ABC Family. Formerly home of Harry Potter Weekend. <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> Fox Family. Always changing it up. Yes. <laughs> and the bold type started out as a joke to me because we, I was at a movie and they always show the stupid ads for stuff before the movie for stuff you don't want to see. And the bold type was on there. And... Todd became obsessed with it because <laughs> So what is it about? What is it? It's it's about three girls living in New York City working for a magazine called Scarlet. Oh my god. And it's a very thinly veiled story about three girls essentially working at Cosmo or Teen Vogue or something something okay. like that. Like a um, fashion magazine for young women. And all three of the girls have some different overarching plot for the season. One girl is in a relationship with a much older man and <laughs> um, is trying to, like, keep it a secret. And she ultimately has to make decisions about that as she's trying to, like, climb up the ladder in the magazine. One girl uh, is falling in love with another woman and she doesn't know how to deal with that or what it means. And the main, arguably the main character, Jane, or Tiny Jane, as they insist on calling her, rude, um, is trying to become a big writer in Scarlet's stable of writers. (laughs) And that means having to contend with, like, what pieces she's given versus what pieces she 
wants to write. The episodes, I mean, I kind of joked about it when I first started watching it and said, this is going to be stupid, or I can predict exactly what's going to happen. And you can sort of predict what's going to happen. But But there's like a comfort in that type of predictability too, right? Definitely a comfort in that kind of predictability. Because I'm like, oh my God, she's totally going to kiss this woman. They're going to end up together. Like, (laughs) I can predict stuff like that. But I couldn't predict that they would have an episode that really interestingly and delicately dealt with rape. It's doing some things you wouldn't expect an ABC family or a freeform show to do. And it's just, it's got a lot going for it. The plot's interesting and comforting at the same time. The outfits on this show are fabulous. And for me, like, looking (laughs) at these different outfits became fun. I was like, are they going to wear crop tops to work again? Yes. Um, (laughs) So it's, and they also, something that they do that I love when shows do this is they would recycle pieces and they would wear pieces from old outfits again. So they seem like actual humans. Right. Who don't have a new Um, outfit for every day of their life. (laughs) (laughs) So it's, it's good. It's a really good show. Would would recommend. Awesome. It's an under the radar show. All right, Susan. Okay. Hey, I'm Susan. Still my voice. <laughs> my name is last alphabetically. And my number three pick is American Vandal, which is a Netflix series. Girl. Yes. And I can talk about this now because I just watched it. I'm so excited that you watched it and I really hope that you didn't hate it because I'm about to gush all over it right now. So It's so fun. I still have to watch it. So I um, I was on a work trip, and two of the, my coworkers were talking about it, and I was like, what the hell are you guys talking about? And they were just watch this trailer. So I watched the trailer, and I was like, is this for real? Like, it's almost so satire in the trailer that you can't really tell <laughs> if it's real. It seems real. But it's a, kind of a true crime satire show um, where the main character, Dylan, is – sort of the Adnan Syed of <laughs> of the situation and someone has drawn 27 dicks on 27 cars in the teacher's parking lot at a high school and Dylan is suspected <laughs> um, but these two other students make a little documentary film about it and you start to wonder is he really guilty or not and it's just it's doing a really hashtag who drew the dicks yeah hashtag <laughs> free Dylan hashtag who drew the dicks um, but I got so into this that I was, like, discussing for – I'm talking hours on end discussing theories about who drew these dicks on these cars (laughs) with with Joe. Look, (laughs) Emily has an opinion. Go go for it. Go ahead. Yes. I I thought it was the teacher. Which one? Listen, I haven't watched yet, so – It's – this isn't giving anything away. I promise. Shapiro or – Because – Shapiro. Or Mr. Krabs. Yeah. No, no. Shapiro. (laughs) Mr. Because Shapiro, anyway, yeah, we can talk about our theories later. Yeah, I have. I think that the person that you end up, you're supposed to think that it is. I'm pretty sure it's not her. I think it's another. I actually think it's another female student, but (gasps) okay, whose name I can't even remember now. But um, anyway, uh, yeah, I think it's it's really doing a cool thing with true crime because. You know, in the last couple years, like, everyone and their mother has gotten into, like, cereal and to making a murderer. And you'll talk about – it's, like, 
you can talk about or care about anything because these these shows like have a way of making you do that Mm -hmm. and american vandal like totally pulled me into that trap where i was sitting in bed at night talking about like the shape of the balls on these dicks and (laughs) what that meant no ball hairs (laughs) it's like no it wouldn't have been like the the tip was shaped like a heart which is like kind of a girly doodle (laughs) and like a girl probably drew it not dylan like Seriously, Dylan would say like, "I couldn't have done it because I draw ball hairs on exactly dicks every and time." Like you might be thinking right now, if you haven't seen it, oh great, a bunch of dick jokes for eight or ten episodes. But they're like, it's really actually smart humor for it, it's it's good for being dick jokes. <laughs> yeah, like it's really really good and really funny, and like you will laugh out loud, and I think you will love it. I have a high bar, high bar for oh, dick yeah, jokes. Oh yeah, because like that's like kind of lowest common denominator, which is I think that's sort of Mm. why they made this whole show about dick jokes really and it's really good and if you ever enjoyed cereal yeah you will just laugh and laugh because it is is. oh yeah that the episode where they try to like recreate the timeline of the crime to see if he actually had time to do it like, I was like, oh, yes, I remember that serial. Yeah. yeah. That's Sarah Koenig and her producer driving to the uh, Best Buy mm-hmm. parking yeah, lot. Yeah, <laughs> see if you can get the Best Buy. Mm-hmm. And there's there's an episode where they have, like, a Nisha Call-esque moment. <laughs> the voicemail. The 221 <laughs> the PM voicemail. Yeah. 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 So it's really, mm-hmm. it's really good. It's well done and just really, really funny. Yeah. I gotta get on I that. It's a good one. Oh, is it my turn again? Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. So my second pick is this little movie you probably never heard of before from this little um, movie company called Pixar. They're just (laughs) this up and coming group of ragtag upstarts. Um, They're really the underdog of animation. (laughs) Yeah. Like one of these days they're going to get an Academy Award or something. I don't know. But um, so (laughs) Coco... I've seen twice, and I cried like a baby both times. I don't know. Has anyone else seen it? I, I'm planning on seeing it, but I haven't gone I yet. saw it with you. Yeah. No, I haven't. Sorry. <laughs> okay. So, so Coco is a movie that's really about um, family and uh, remembering those you've lost. Uh, it centers around the Day of the Dead and uh, this Mexican family um, who has this really, like, weird history with music. And so, like, music is banned from their household, and they're all shoemakers. And, like, that's just, like, what they do. Like, they make shoes, they don't listen to music. Which made me wonder, am I the grandmother? <laughs> because I also don't listen to music. And you also make shoes. But no. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wish. That would be cool. Um, I'm down. I want to be in this family. I want to be a Rivera. Uh Basically, of course, the little boy of the family loves music and wants to be a musician and secretly practices guitar um, and crosses over to the other side to meet his dead ancestors and try to get some sort of, like, consent to follow his dream and play music. And the story is, like, pretty complex for a children's story, so that doesn't really even begin to tackle everything that they cover in the story, because there's a lot going on. Yes. But um, it's really heartfelt. It's really sweet. It's gorgeous to look at. Mm -hmm. And um, also the music is really catchy. Like, I get the songs from the movie stuck in my head all the time, and I just really enjoyed everything about it and also like i love a movie that makes me cry and this movie 
I cried so hard both times. I really have to see it. Yeah, I I really enjoyed it too. It is beautiful and the plot is complex to an, to a level that like it's not hard to understand, but and it's pretty straightforward, but there's just so many interesting characters and stuff going on. Um there's a creature I love that's like a giant <laughs> cat. What was its name? Pepito? Yeah. <laughs> And every time I was like, Pepito, Pepito. Pepito. He's a big cat. Um, but I I also cried, not for the same reasons Emily was crying. I was crying because it was just so beautiful mm-hmm. at the end. And it's just like about honoring your family and not forgetting your like lost loved ones. And just really, I don't know, it was really sweet. You cried for the same reason I cry every time I watch Moana because I'm like, oh, this is so good. Yes. <laughs> I am Moana. Yes. Literally watching Moana, I cried because I was like, this is so empowering. <laughs> oh, yeah. But we're talking about Coco. So go see Coco if you haven't seen it yet. It's still in theaters as of right now. Um, and I really highly recommend seeing it in the theater if possible because just visually it's so stunning and seeing that on a big screen is just really cool mm-hmm. also fun fact i'm pretty sure it's the highest grossing film in mexico of all time which means they must have good for, good for them yeah, but i mean that means that says something about uh how the culture is depicted because oh yeah means, totally you know, mm-hmm. that it's i think i mean i think they genuinely tried to do it right yeah yeah and from the from the people the mexican friends that i have that i've talked to who have seen it they've all said like this is excellent and is a good representation of the culture Mm -hmm. um so yeah yeah and it felt it felt like um you know a lot of cultural traditions are interwoven into the story they didn't feel tacked on they felt like necessary parts of the story Mm -hmm. which was really cool um cool yes Yay! Okay, so this is Kelly again. Hi. Um, my number two pick is Keddy, which is a documentary. Um, yes! Keddy! This movie. Like, Keddie. I just watched it over <laughs> the winter break, and I hadn't... I, I remember seeing trailers for it and being like, I obviously have to see this, because it is a documentary about the street cats of Istanbul, um, and it just follows these cats around and sort of explores the ways in which these cats affect the residents of the city and how important they are. And, like, so, first of all, I have never seen cats filmed so beautifully. Yes. There are such gorgeous close-up shots of these cats. Like, obviously, this director, uh, her name is Seda Torun. I'm not sure if I'm saying that right. But um, she is Turkish and was born in Istanbul. And she... I was reading something where she said that, like, when she she was a little kid, she used to play with all these cats, and her family would be like, don't come home, you're going to have fleas. And no! Stuff. But, <laughs> and then eventually she moved to the States for high school, and she, like, all her life, like, grew up wanting to go back and, like, see these cats again. So you can tell that, like, she is, you know, uh, ex- or observing these cats with so much love. Like, she... Just the way that they're filmed and the way that she follows them around and, like, this – the empathy that is given to even the meanest cats in this movie, (laughs) even the one that um, the people 
in the neighborhood calls psycho yes. psychopath because it's such a crazy cat. That was my favorite insane. one. Yes. Yeah. And she that was, cat would like it, drive the other cats away except for yes. her husband cat. And its name <laughs> is like I think in Tur- in Turkish or something the the word for psychopath was like like psychopath or something <laughs> which they would all call it and it was so funny. But anyway, so it's so beautifully filmed, but it's also just like a really surprisingly deep meditation on like being alive and spirituality and I'm not a religious person but I think that there are some really interesting questions about like you know a a greater being in this movie and how cats you know tie us to that or tie us to the earth or tie us to all sorts of things in life and, like, so we not only get this portrait of all of these really interesting, beautiful cats, but also of the people that live in Istanbul and the people who, you know, work there on a daily basis and how they see life and the meaning of life, essentially, through cats and how they uh, – some of them have found meaning in life because of cats. So it's just, like, so beautiful and I mean, even if you aren't a huge cat lover, you know, still see it. But if you love cats, which I'm sure many people listening do. Cat people are our demographic. It's so good. It's just well shot. Yes. It's really well made on top of being really (laughs) cool. And it has a really cute soundtrack, too. The, like, um, composer did a good job of making this music that sort of, like, follows around the cats and how they walk and stuff. So, Emily and I saw this. Uh, saw Ketty earlier this year, and my favorite part was there's a quote that we have repeated many times: "A cat looking up at you, yes, is like life smiling." <laughs> also, we saw this at the movie theater and squealed the entire time. Yes, there were like there was like two other people there, and we were, we couldn't even hold it in. We were just like, "Oh my god!" Oh, yeah, that I was with my mom and my roommate, <laughs> and we were both like. Oh my god! Like every time a new cat came on the screen, and there's one part where there's a bunch of kittens that like pop up from like under a stairwell thing, and they're all like looking. They're, they're surprise, so surprise kittens. <laughs> <laughs> it's so fucking cute. Like I can't. I love cats it so really. much. Me too. As the resident dog person of the podcast, I will watch it and report yes. back. For all you dog people, <laughs> yes. If I also squealed, which I yeah. probably will, there, yeah, yeah. There may be one reference to that dogs are not as smart as cats, but only one time. <laughs> Fine, I can get on board with one time. <laughs> They're just different smart. <laughs> yes. My number two is something that is like pretty recent for me. I have chosen Phoebe Bridgers. Mm debut album stranger in the alps um this we talked about phoebe bridgers a couple of episodes ago when emily was out we talked about um sad women (laughs) singer songwriters (laughs) which thanks to you guys i've discovered many since then because you made a list that episode devolved into sad indie women songwriters hour so that's because i wasn't there to like keep it on track (laughs) i know you're gone for a day and we're like what emily wasn't there to be like i hate music (laughs) (laughs) but i no music that's the mexican grandma sorry go ahead i listened to one song motion sickness earlier in the year i'm not gonna pretend like i found this on my own it was one of those things todd was like listen to this song and i listened to it and i was like yes fine 
It's okay. And then later, when we weren't together, I was like, let me research this album, because I actually really liked it, but, like, I want to be low-key. <laughs> like, I want to look too excited. You know he's going to hear this, though, right? Yeah, well, it's whatever. This was, like, a few months ago. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> oh my God. So, I listened to it, and um, really liked it. And I was listening to it at home. I'm not, like, selling this. I'm just like, I like it. But I was listening to it at home. um, And my stepmom said, oh, this song is so beautiful. I love it. And I said, it's about a dead child. (laughs) (laughs) In that voice? Yeah, pretty much. I'm I'm creepy. (laughs) Um, I'm just going to read you some of my favorite lyrics, because I think she has, like, really good lyrics that sort of like encapsulate a certain area. I should I should say too she is from LA, but none of her songs read LA to me, if that makes sense. Like They feel very like Pacific Northwest. Yes. Um <laughs> so really white? Yeah. Oh, well. Okay. Yeah. She is white. She's quite white. Um so the first song on the album Smoke Signals which is one of my favorites. It has kind of like a Twin Peaks-esque baseline that I'm really into. <laughs> um and the first verse is I went up with you to the place you grew up in. We spent a week in the cold, just long enough to walden it with you any longer and it would have got old. <laughs> and it just Ugh, like, yes, you're waldening it. You think it's going to be like a super transformative experience, but later you realize this would have sucked if we were there a moment longer. <laughs> yes. Um, so true. But it seems just kind of like a misconnection. Like, you must have been looking for me, sending smoke signals, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the best, the like probably most well-known song I think that I also really like is Motion Sickness, and I've mentioned it on the podcast before, but the chorus is clever to me. It is, I have, a, I have emotional motion sickness. <laughs> Somebody That's roll so the cute. windows down. <laughs> oh, so good. <laughs> this is just me gushing. Um, and there is also a song about how... Um, the speaker of this song realizes, I'm talking about this like it's poetry, the speaker of the song <laughs> is saying, like, I'm singing at a funeral for a kid that was just a year older than me, and I'm having, like, these terrible dreams that are nightmares, and I feel all alone. And the chorus is, Jesus Christ, I'm so blue all the time, and that's just how I feel. I always have, and I always will. <laughs> and um, I'm laughing, but... That is a true feeling um, that it's not too hard to have. Like, you feel like you've always been sad and you will always be sad and that's it. And there's no way of getting out of that. And I don't think Phoebe Bridgers is, like, offering any solutions and dealing with your depression, but... I find sometimes that hearing that other people have similar experiences is comforting and hopeful because it makes you feel not alone. Yes, I definitely Um, agree. Yeah, definitely. And I just just think the music is really lovely and it's quiet. It's like nice to turn on when you're working. And yeah, 
I could have named like a number of sad women <laughs> singer songwriters. That was just the top, <laughs> as we have done yes. in a previous yes time. Susan, so you knew I had to put a podcast on here, and honestly, I could have done just three podcasts, but <laughs> yeah, same. decided to mix it up. But number two is a podcast, <laughs> and it is. Dirty John mm. from Wondery Podcast Network and the LA Times and is reported by Christopher Gofford. Um, they describe it as a true story about seduction, deception, forgiveness, denial, and ultimately survival. Um, and then I wanted to read a little quote from Christopher Gofford, mm-hmm. just what he said about the subject of this podcast, whose name is John Meehan. Um, I've written hundreds and hundreds of stories about very bad people. I've been a reporter for 20 years, but there's something about this guy, John Meehan, that chills me, that gets under my skin in a way that nobody else has. And so it's about this guy, John Meehan, and this family that he sort of, like, weasels his way into by pretending to be someone he's not. And it's – the podcast sort of follows the family, figuring out that he's not really who he says he is, and then it gets – dangerous like very dangerous and i won't spoil anything but it is it's suspenseful it's really well produced and it's just like really really good storytelling which is my favorite thing about a podcast like those are the ones that i go for um but yeah it's it's really really good and immediately when i listened to it i actually was like on the way home from a work trip and i had heard of it on another podcast <laughs> of course <laughs> That's where I get all my recommendations from from a different podcast. podcast. Yeah. Oh, I have a Casper mattress because I listen to so many podcasts. Like, I do. That's why I have Blue Apron. The ads. Do you like it? Because I need a new mattress. I love it. And if you use the code bonkers at checkout, you can get however many percent off your new mattress. (laughs) We're not sponsored by them. I know. Casper, if you're listening, listening, I will push your product if you sponsor us. Okay. So, anywho. I heard about it on a different podcast, and I was on a plane on the way home from a work trip, and I was like, oh, I'll just listen to this as I, like, fall asleep. But I ended up listening to the first like, three episodes just, like, back to back to back. And then, like, while walking through the airport to get my luggage, when I finally got off the plane, I was, like, still going. Like, what's he going to do? Um, and then, of course, I texted everyone when I landed, like, go listen to this right now so we can talk about it together. So um, now all of you should go do that, too. Yeah, because yeah, well. you didn't text us about um, it. I'm, I'm always around yeah. to talk about it. Like She says, I texted tw- everyone. Twitter That's me. not true. <laughs> yeah, That's not true where, where was my text? <laughs> oh, don't act like I didn't send you guys a group text about this podcast. I'm <laughs> sure Must have been in the secret group text sure that, that I'm not a part no. of. <laughs> it was not. Like, bitch, no, it wasn't. Right. I know I texted you about this. I probably texted everyone about this. It's all I have good. no recollection. We all well, forgot. Consider this your text message. I also, like, I feel like, Susan, you always have the good podcast, and so I can't keep up. It is, I can't keep up with my own podcast right now, but that one, I'm telling you, like, if there's one that you pick for the year, I had to narrow it down to one, you should go with it, too, is really, really good. You will like it. And it's short. It's like six episodes or something, so. Six episodes is doable. Emily. Go, go. Okay. Um, so my number one most fave thing of the year, we're here at number one, I picked The Big Sick, Yay. directed by Michael Showalter and written by Kumail Nanjiani and Emily B. Gordon. If you guys didn't know this already, this is the story of Kumail and Emily's real romance. Oh, so this good. This is what really happened to them, basically. I love them. Yes. I love them um, so much. I don't even know where to begin with this. I started re-watching it on the plane ride home 
from uh, Colorado because I was like, okay, what am I going to say? There's just so much that I love about it. Um, Mm -hmm. It's hilarious. I laughed a lot. I also cried a lot. Um, Funny, funny story. (laughs) Emily and Ben were on a date scene. Yes, we were. (laughs) And I was with a big group scene and Emily and Ben sat away from us. Look, it was one of those theaters where you get assigned seats, so it wasn't like we could just sit wherever we wanted. It was just funny. It was just funny. And, like, when she went to the bathroom, Emily was like, how are you liking it? (laughs) (laughs) I'm not trying to hijack your pick, but I think it's, I think it works because, uh... Kumail has like this, you know, we're buds, me and Kumail. Yeah. Um, he has this sense of humor that is both understated and just like outright hilarious. Mm-hmm. You know, like it is really funny, but he never looks like he thinks he's funny. Yeah. Yeah. And. It worked well with the tone of the movie. And, like, the whole cast is excellent. The story is excellent. And going in knowing that this was a true story just made me all the more, like, oh, my gosh. Yeah. This really happened to someone. And it's heartbreaking. And it's hopeful. And ultimately, I feel like you leave believing love is real. <laughs> yes. Oh, and God. I should go see it then. I need that right as, now. As someone yes. who has spent a lot of time the past five years in a hospital dealing with doctors and uncertainty, uh, I felt like they, uh, they meaning everyone who worked on this movie, the writer, the director, etc., really captured the way that feels. It's frustrating. Uh it's um, anxiety-inducing, like in a way that, like, I can't even begin to describe. <laughs> like, there's no, there's no other way to like. It's like when you're afraid of something, and then that thing that you feared was going to happen actually happens. It's kind of like that feeling. Um, and I feel like I don't know. The movie just captured that well, while still um, being funny at the same time, like. Really, really serious at times, but also like it was just like a like the perfect blend of like um, heaviness and laughter together. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. I was just listening to a, a podcast where it was film spotting actually, and they were talking about some director who said something about I think it was maybe Paul Thomas Anderson who said like filmmaking is about tone management. Yeah, and it sounds like. That's perfect because there are a lot of movies that are trying to be funny and serious, and they like lean too heavily into one or the other, and it doesn't right. And work. Y- and then you're wondering <laughs> like, how am I supposed to feel about this movie? Um, and I right. think this just it just got it right. Like, everything just felt right, and it it is really just as good as everybody is telling you it is. If you haven't seen it yet, you really need to. So yeah. Also, Camille and Emily. They seem so genuine and nice in their reactions to people on social media about Mm -hmm. this film. And they seem like they genuinely wanted to share their story. And like, yes, it was a hit, a sort of like a surprise hit and was, you know, like successful financially, I'm sure. But also they just seem really genuine in hoping people Mm -hmm. enjoyed it. Like, I think opening weekend, they responded to every single person who tweeted about it. 
I believe that. I think I remember reading that. And it was even if it was stuff like someone would tweet, I just saw the big sick and I really liked it. And he would just tweet, thanks, I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> like, he it just... Seems he like just seems like a nice guy. The nicest person. Like, every yeah. time I hear him in an interview or, like, sometimes he'll be, like, a guest on certain podcasts I listen to because he's, like, friends with lots of podcast people. Mm-hmm. And he just, like, always seems like such a genuine, like, kind person. Yeah. So I'm really happy that he's having so much success because it seems like he deserves it. Yeah, that's what I was going to say is this is really exciting to me because I'm just so excited for them. Mm -hmm. Like as people, Mm -hmm. I've been following him as a stand-up comedian for a long time. And then so sort of because of that, also following her because they had a podcast together before. Mm-hmm. Which, Mary, did you listen to? Oh, it all makes sense now. Called The Indoor Kids. <laughs> it's about video games, so you would probably like it. But um, I'm writing it down. Yeah. <laughs> Indoor Kids. Um, <laughs> but yeah, cute. he's a he's a brilliant stand-up comedian, too. And he's also, he's really good in Silicon Valley. Um, speaking of other smart dick jokes, that is probably, season one has like the best dick joke in it that you've ever seen. It's like an episode-long dick joke. But Camille Nanjiani is really great in that show, too. And Emily was a therapist before and like she not me mm-hmm. had this Emily. really great tumblr where she will yeah now she's doing awesome other stuff too but like <laughs> she was a therapist and she wrote a book um and she had a, a cool tumblr where she would like answer people's questions um that you might ask to a therapist but were like too afraid to and like they're both just really awesome people and so this is really cool. i just want to be their friends <laughs> okay my turn uh okay so my number one pick is also a podcast. Earlier, Susan was like, if you listen to one podcast this year, make it this one. Well, guess what? <laughs> That's what I'm going to say about this one. So you're going to have to pick one or the other. Or just listen to two. Um, <laughs> That's fine. You've got time yeah. to listen to two, everyone. Go ahead and listen to two. Do yourself a favor. This also doesn't have very many episodes. Um, It is called Heavyweight uh, by Gimlet Media and Jonathan Goldstein, who is a person who I've been listening to and following his stuff for like many years now. Um, because I first heard him on This American Life, where he used to be a regular contributor, and then he started his own podcast called Wiretap, which was on CBC, um, and that ran for a very long time. And he's just this person who has one of the most strange senses of humor, but the the concept of Wiretap was that it was a show that sounded like he was having, like, real interviews with his friends and, like, re- <laughs> like telling real stories, but a lot of it was fictionalized. But he made it sound like it was real. Hmm. And he has, like, friends who would be recurring characters on his show, but they would just be, like, really, like, caricature versions of who they actually are. Um, So, anyway, uh, all this is to say that he started working for Gimlet and has his own podcast with them, which is called Heavyweight. And the concept of the show is that he basically asks people to come to him with... Like, a moment in their life where they made a decision or where something happened and years later or however however much longer later, they are still thinking about that moment and thinking, like, did I, did I do the right thing or why did this happen or I need to revisit this moment in my life and figure out, like, what I feel about it. And so it's, like, a wide variety of different subjects. Um And so the first season came out last year, and the second season came out this year, and it just finished up, like, a couple months ago. Um, And they only – each season has, like, eight episodes or so. They're – and they're, like, less than an hour long each. 
But it's just like he finds these people who have really interesting things that they want to revisit. Um, There's a story about a girl who her foster mother, when she was a kid, made her stop playing basketball in high school because she wasn't getting good enough grades. And she, like, had to give up playing basketball and never went back to it. And she, like, is in her 30s now or whatever and is like, I want to know, like, why she did that to me. (laughs) So she, like, goes back and visits her foster mother, who's now, like, this woman in, like, her 80s and just, like, has this really fascinating conversation. And basically Jonathan Goldstein, like, facilitates all of this, but he does it in such a way where he has his this own version of himself that is, like, this super awkward person who is not good at facilitating conversations at all. So... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> when you when the when the thing is happening it's just like made all the more awkward by him being awkward and so it it feels more real because he's not good at that and i think he did it on purpose because he's like i'm not good at having conversations so let me help other people have conversations <laughs> and but it just it makes some really interesting stuff happen because he just asks these really awkward questions or like really weird things end up happening And it's just really a lot about, like, the way that people fail to communicate uh, and sometimes succeed at communicating in very strange ways. So I love this show, and I think everyone should listen to it. Um, Check it out, please. I'm adding that to my very long list. Yes, you should. I think you'll like it. (laughs) It's very well produced, of course, also because it's a Gimlet podcast, and they're all, like, sound great. So Back. To me. (laughs) My number one of the year is Night in the Woods. It's a video game that is out for a variety of um, formats. Like, I think it's on Steam. You can play it on the PS4, which is where I played it. And it came out almost exactly a year ago. It came out um, in January of 2017. And... It is a really quirky video game. It got kickstarted, so it's not a game from a major studio or anything, which means they were kind of free to explore the weirdness of of the game and really make it what they wanted it to be. Um, it's a game about a young woman named May who is returning home from college after something mysterious happened and she's just like not in college anymore now. (laughs) And she goes back to her small hometown and lives in her parents' house. And she kind of like is trying to get her act together and get herself settled in her hometown again after leaving college. And you quickly meet her cast of friends, Greg, who is hilarious and works at a place called the Snack Falcon. <laughs> and um, <laughs> Greg's boyfriend. It's just, it's just like, She's trying to get settled in this hometown. And as the player, you are directing her around the town and choosing who to talk to. And there are some sort of skill-based sections of the game that feel like mini games almost. Like you might have to play the bass in a band, (laughs) or you might have to break fluorescent light bulbs with a baseball bat. But for the most part, it is a narrative game about trying to uncover what's happened to May and what's happening in the town because 
mysterious things are going on in the cool. town. Like a, an Spooky arm scared. was found. <laughs> Just an arm. Sounds um, Lynchian. It does. But um, what's interesting about this, first of all, everyone's an anthropomorphic animal. And ultimately, the game deals with issues of mental health and feeling trapped in a small town and trying to find some way out, which are two things that, like, I really, I don't want to say identify with, but, like, mental health is an important topic to me, and... I know what it is like to feel trapped in a small hometown. So if you're into narrative-based games, I highly recommend Night in the Woods. It's hilarious. It is gripping as you're trying to figure out these mysteries. And it is just, like, really sweet. And it has a lot of personality. Um, If you don't have any way to play it, it is supposed to come out for phones later this year. Awesome. Yeah. (laughs) My number one pick for the year is Mike Birbiglia's stand-up special, um, or more like one-man show, I think you would call this one. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> Thank God for jokes. I love Mike Birbiglia. Like, his style of comedy really also is leans heavily on narrative, and it's like there's always this thread that pulls through all the way, but in the middle, there are these tangents that seem so disconnected from each other, and they're really funny, but once they all tie together at the end, it's like, oh. And Mm -hmm. my girlfriend's boyfriend did that too. And that's probably, that's one of my favorite specials of all time. And that year I would have picked that as my number one whenever that was. (laughs) But I love it. And I've seen it multiple times. I think it's so fucking good. Um, Yes. This is maybe not quite as good, but it's really of the moment. I think it was um, filmed in early 2017. And um, there's definitely, I know that's so cool (laughs) that you were there. You were? (laughs) There's definitely a sense of like, Kind of the heaviness of 2016 um, and how jokes can sort of be a remedy for really, really painful and awful shit. Mm -hmm. Um, But it's, I mean, it is genuinely funny the whole time, too, but there is definitely this, like, serious message to it. And I think Mike Birbiglia is just really deft at pulling those things together and pulling that narrative thread through so go watch it yeah his specials are always so well crafted just yeah yeah and he responded to one of my tweets once and that was like maybe one of the coolest moments i've ever had on twitter you've made it (laughs) that's awesome i know i made it i but i love him so much and i'm super jealous kelly that you were there i didn't even know that until i put this on the list and you told me yeah i it was at bam which is like really close it's like a 25 minute walk from my apartment and I went Mm. to they were just I wanted to go see the show and then it was like oh by the way this is the Netflix taping (laughs) and it was like oh okay but they did they taped it over two nights and I don't think I like watched it and I was like where am I but I couldn't see myself at any point so it looked like a really intimate space it was we were very close too. we were maybe like seven rows back so which is another thing I really like about him because I'm not a big like arena sellout comedian type person but he's one of my favorites and i think that's part of why is like he seems so just like there with the audience and it's all like everyone is going through this thing together and he's it's so good okay well those are our top picks so now we are going to cut to susan's interview with james markert um which was done over the winter holiday about his new book, which is called... It's called All Things Bright and Strange. I love that. (laughs) I love that title. (laughs) 
Yeah, no, it's a great title, and it's like a beautiful looking book too. Um, if you haven't, I've it is really pretty. It really pictures is pictures with the cover art, but um, James is awesome, and his I, I know him from a long time ago, and he's just really a great dude and a good author. And this is his newest novel. It's out January thirtieth, so pretty soon you'll be able to read it yourself. Cool. So it's a spoiler free interview, um, but I hope you enjoy it. Awesome. So here's the interview. Welcome to a special Book Squad Goals author interview. This is Susan, and I'm here with James Markert, whose newest novel, All Things Bright and Strange, will be out on January 30th. James is not just an author, but also a screenwriter and a tennis pro, which is how I know him. <laughs> he used to be my tennis coach. <laughs> I'm trying to think how many years ago that was. Oh, gosh. Um, we're going we're gonna to put a date on us both here. Yeah. <laughs> well, you probably are still... You probably still have some tennis skills I played recently, and it was like, whoa, <laughs> you would have been ashamed of me for sure. No, no, I don't think so. <laughs> it was probably 2003. I was three or four. Okay. Um, the first time that I like took a lesson from you. So. I, I, I think I remember. I remember that and your, your first lesson from your brother. I remember every first lesson because for some reason, most kids are scared. <laughs> I don't, never, yeah. I don't think I'm a scary person, but I think we just knew that our parents were frugal, and it was like you know make the most of this because mm-hmm. they're spending money. Yeah. <laughs> and y'all did. Yeah, Patrick's lesson was probably more memorable than mine, as he was much better player. Was about, <laughs> he was about two feet tall. Too. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. So if that was, in, he probably started taking lessons from you around the same time I did, which mm-hmm. would have made him I like he was ten nine. years old. He was, yeah, he was. I think <laughs> nine. Wow. Yep. So that's how we know each other, um, and he just happens to be a novelist too. So how did you get from tennis to screenwriting and writing novels? Well, it's kind of an odd combination. Um, I don't think you have too many tennis pros out there who are also novelists. No. Um, I always joke, uh, you know, say uh, tennis pro who not only reads, <laughs> but I can write. <laughs> um, but, you know, I think tennis just started because I, I just started teaching when I was in college. And that's just, it was, I just kept going with it because I liked the hours and it, it was nice to be able to wear shorts to work. And, <laughs> um, and I loved, loved all the kids I, I I uh, used to teach and still teach. Um, but my passion was always with books and, and, and it didn't always start out wanting to be a writer. I just loved to read and I didn't actually even like to read until I think it was my junior year of high school. Um, and my English teacher who has since passed away, uh, Roger Eppinger at the sales, he said, I know you are, are not going to want to read all the classics. So we're going to read Stephen King all year. Um, oh, that's awesome. That's like great. my dream. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we did, and we didn't, you know, we read some of his more literary stories where some of his novella, you know, we read Shawshank, we read mm-hmm. the body. Um, I think we read the green mile. Um, and it got everyone engaged and, and discussing books when otherwise they probably wouldn't have. Um, and I was one of them, you know, I, I think a lot of those books that we, you know, the so-called classics, which are wonderful, but, you know, I didn't want to read them. <laughs> so, but once I read Stephen King, um, 
you know, that school year ended and I got every Stephen King book there was and went through them one by one. And I think ever since then, there probably hadn't been a day where I hadn't read something. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got to the point where I liked reading so much and I thought I was pretty creative and said, and I wanted to be a novelist. And, you know, you can't be a novelist until you write a book. So <laughs> I wrote several bad ones and eventually learned what I was doing. <laughs> <laughs> Several bad ones. How many bad ones? Uh, well, I, I wouldn't say bad. They were just unpublishable. Because um, I went to, I, I never took any creative writing classes. I, uh, I guess I went to the school of hard knocks and learned mm-hmm. by, you know, rejection. You know, you learn, you get, you know, if you get good advice after you're rejected and you take it to heart and you can learn from it. And I think every, after every draft of every novel improved and, it was actually my first novel that sold was a white wind blue. And that, that was the fifth novel that I'd written. So I had, you know, four novels and probably half of two others that I'd written that were in a sense kind of practice mm-hmm. for, for the real thing. And I'm still learning, you know, each book I write, I think it, I get a little bit better. As we're talking about your past books, like they seem to all kind of live in this historical fiction realm with like a hint of supernatural coming into like how did this become sort of the genre that you're working in well um i don't know it it wasn't purposely done you know i wrote a white wind blue which is straight up historical um and then uh started another book uh, that was kind of a more of a dark historical thriller kind of in line with the alienist type of story and um but the publisher wanted more of a straight, you know, another historical, more of a, a bigger book type of thing and not a mystery thriller. Um, so I put, I put that aside. Stories pop into my head and I write them. So I wrote The Angel Share um, and I didn't intend for it to have, I guess there's a little bit of supernatural hints and a little bit of magical realism maybe. Um, I don't know. I, I just write and then I come up with an idea and it comes in. And it just happens. And I think uh, All Things Bright and Strange certainly has a lot more of the magical realism in, in it. Um, you know, and, and I liked it. So <laughs> my next book had a little bit in it, the, the one coming out in June. And then the one I'm working on right now has a little bit of magical realism mixed in with uh, historical fiction. And I know that's not a, it's a, cry, I guess, crossover mm-hmm. to a lot of different genres. And I don't do it purposely. It just, um, I enjoyed writing those books, so I did another one. Um, but you know, this is the end of a you know a certain another two book deal, and my my next one I may go more straight up historical, or I may be you know start writing that and start veering over to that again. I don't know. <laughs> or straight up supernatural. <laughs> yeah, or straight up supernatural, like a, like a horror novel. I don't know. Yeah. Well, hey, Stephen King. I yeah. Mean. But the one thing that has to be consistent now is the the historical part is important. Mm-hmm. Um, just because, you know, that's what the first book was and that there, and I enjoy it. I enjoy doing a little bit of the research and, mm-hmm. um, and then, you know, creating stories out of that. That's one of my favorite genres to read. So, mm-hmm. um, I like to learn as I'm writing and hopefully the reader, you know, can learn a little bit too as, as they're going. Well, let's talk all things bright and strange. Um, we're going to keep this spoiler free since it's not out yet <laughs> and don't ruin this for anyone, but, um, I'm going to just read the the book cover so that we get a summary before we start talking about it okay 
In the wake of World War I in the small southern town of Belhaven, South Carolina, the town folk believed they found a little slice of heaven in a mysterious chapel in the woods, but they soon realized that evil can come in the most beautiful of forms. The people of Belhaven have always looked to Ellsworth Newberry for guidance, but after losing his wife and his future as a professional pitcher, he is moments away from testing his mortality once and for all, until he finally takes notice of the changes in his town and the cardinals that have returned. Upon the discovery of a small chapel deep in the Belhaven woods, healing seems to fall upon the townspeople, bringing peace after several years of mourning. But as they visit the healing floor more frequently, the people begin to turn on one another, and the unusually tolerant town becomes anything but. The cracks between the natural and supernatural begin to widen, and tensions rise. Before the town crumbles, Ellsworth must pull himself from the brink of suicide, overcome his demons, and face the truth of who he was born to be by leading the town into the woods to face the evil, threatening Belhaven. Well done, Susan. Well done, you. I, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I think you should read, be the reader from out for the audio version. Hey. It's Some, kind of it's kind of a secret dream of mine. I don't know that I have the voice for that, but I would kind of love to do it. I don't like, <laughs> I don't like reading my books aloud. So luckily, I don't think I'll ever be asked to do the audio <laughs> That's one of those things at book signings where, um, you know, I will read. Yeah. But I'd rather not. I always think <laughs> if my talent is writing, I, it's we're better off me sitting in front of people typing. <laughs> That's what's hard as a poet because like it's you know it's so much meant to be heard out loud and when right. you're asked to read it's like oh well i guess i kind of have to yeah. <laughs> but then you want to read it the right way mm-hmm. too so i feel that pain um but yeah if you ever need an audiobook reader who's like got a lot of vocal fry and will probably annoy everyone to death, <laughs> like you call me up <laughs> All right. I, have, I don't know who's reading it. So I have, that's going to be audio. I just don't know who's reading it. Mm-hmm. I was going to ask because I think it would. I think it would work really well as an audio book. Mm-hmm. Like this, the storytelling of it and the narratives is really. Um, I think lends itself to being listened to. Right. Also, um, so where did where did the idea for this novel come from? Um, let's see. Well, I visited. I think it was three years ago or so. I was in Charleston and I visited the Boone Hall Plantation and the avenue of oaks leading into the plantation. And, um, and then I saw the old slave houses alongside the road, outside the trees, and, and then just started thinking of a town um, and a, you know, a fictional plantation that I kind of wanted to base off of that. Um, and I don't know, I, uh, I think with all things bright and strange, you know, sometimes with the book, I might think of a title first. Sometimes I might think of a, an idea. Uh, this one, I just thought of, the main character and he was recently back from the war and he had a gun in his lap and was um, planning on killing himself at the beginning of the book. Um, and that, uh, and I just took it from there. Um, and then, you know, I imagine him, you know, the neighbor, Annabelle Roper walking across the street and knocking on his door with food and um, with the whole food aspect, you know, then I thought of the, the town hall, and then, you know, I just wanted to do something, especially in the, the times we're living in now. I wanted to write a book about tolerance and intolerance. Um, and, just you know, I just came up with a 1920s southern town that is not like times. And it's very, with all the di- different religions in the town, I wanted it to be a very tolerant place until something happens. And it's not so tolerant. 
anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, I, the you know, I, I just imagined a town um, suddenly turning on itself and wanting to blow itself up over guns and religion. That's <laughs> mm-hmm. which is not that hard to imagine yeah. even today. <laughs> right. That's it's interesting. I mean, I of course while reading it was thinking like of parallels with the world we're living in now, mm-hmm. but. Um, I didn't know if that was something that you thought about as you were writing it or not. But Well, I did. I mean, it, it's not why I wrote the book. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I got into it and, um, and kind of the, when I was in Charleston, you looked around and it looked like there was a different church on every street yeah. corner. Uh-huh. And that's kind of what gave me the idea. I said, I want to put about, you know, eight or nine, ten different denominations of religion mm-hmm. and in this one little town and see what happens. Um, and so, you know, that's where that came from. So I, you know, I didn't go into the book wanting to write something like that, but it just, you know, that's what happened. Um, the town itself and, and the, the chapel in the woods and sort of, I guess also with the supernatural elements, like one of my favorite things about reading this was just the atmospheric details of the mm-hmm. place. Like the place felt so real, right. um, even when kind of unreal things are, mm-hmm. are happening. Um, I think that's something that you're really great at. Well, I've been told that and I, pre- <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> it is, I don't know. I mean, I just, I, I wanted to write, yeah, I, I like to sometimes take a ugly situation and find the beauty beneath it all. Or in this case, I, I created a very beautiful atmosphere and, and until you found something darker beneath it all. Um, I enjoyed writing the, uh, the, the atmosphere with all the live oaks and everything blooming at once. And, uh, but so, and a lot of times when I write too, I don't know where I'm going with it. And I think that's helpful because if I don't know where I'm going with it, you can't tip it off to the reader. Right. Um, but oftentimes too, I'll get to a point where I'm like, okay, I need to sit down and figure out where I am going with it so I can make everything make sense. But Yeah. I mean, I'm glad I didn't know where, where it was going. Uh-huh. Um, and I, it surprised me often too. Like I would kind of think I knew. <laughs> where we were going with something or what someone was up to and um wasn't and i think that um ellsworth as a character is part of why that mm-hmm. is you know he's um you're kind of just along with him for the ride right. where that goes um and you said you thought of him first right yes just, interesting i just kind of imagine him sitting there with his missing leg and mm-hmm. hayden life <laughs> <laughs> yeah which he really did at the beginning mm-hmm. um yeah, I didn't actually, <laughs> speaking of, I guess this isn't spoiling anything because you already, we've talked about that he wants to kill himself in the beginning. Um, for a moment, I was like, oh, that's not the main character because I really thought right. he's going out. Yeah. <laughs> he's going out like on page five here, mm-hmm. <laughs> like he's done. <laughs> but I think he's a really great character and really well-written character too that um, is part of the reason that you can get swept up in this atmosphere and go along with him, see where he's going to go what he's going to do and and i just thought of the first line and the, the i think when the book comes out they're actually putting that first line on the cover mm. um it, so it was as a good a day to die as any 
But first, Ellsworth, Ellsworth Newberry would have his morning cup of joe. <laughs> yep. So right, right away, I wanted to, you know, think, okay, the main character wants to kill himself, but he's going to have his coffee first. Right. He's not in a huge hurry, but he's like right. on the way out. <laughs> yeah. And I like to, I like to add humor in my books. You know, I don't write comedy novels, um, but... You know, <laughs> yet, you know. yeah, it, it just shows that you know, it, even if it's a dark situation, you mm-hmm. can have a little bit of humor in it. Yes, even um, his his friend. Yeah, he's a little paranoid. Um, yeah, but I mean, his situation is obviously really sad. Mm-hmm. But there's some really funny moments where they're together, right. kind of talking about awful things and hearing about awful things mm-hmm. happening, and he's still kind of a funny. Yeah. <laughs> and Ellsworth treats him with such like good humor also. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, a little bit of locker room talk amongst <laughs> the war veterans. <laughs> um, is war a topic that you've been interested in before as far as writing or just like I know you majored in history, didn't yes. you? So um Yes, and I I my primary focus was World War Two mm-hmm. in uh Germany. Um I don't know. I just, I've always been fascinated by World War One and World War Two, and uh, I, I did mostly World War Two in college. But once I started reading more about World War One, you know, I touched upon it in the Angel Share. Mm-hmm. Um, this one, um, I don't know. I just those those two wars just kind of fascinate me. That was actually my. Um, we could choose a like a time period for one of our. PhD exams, and okay. I picked World War One poetry right. specifically. Oh. I really, I'm also so this was like just right in my alley. Okay. Um, but yeah, like um, my favorite stuff from World War One poets are is from the trench poets, and okay. like getting that perspective of actually being there and how right. shattered they were, and how shattered they watched their friends become. So again, this that is, would make a good story. They actually called them trench poets? Mm-hmm. Huh. Yeah. The ones that were by Because a lot of the British poets who actually had stuff published back mm-hmm. then and as are known today either died during the war. Um, like Wilfred Owen died like a couple of days before right. before the end. Um, or, you know, somehow miraculously made it out, um, but were ruined hmm. and lost all of their friends. So. I might steal that. Oh, go for the it. The trench poets. Yeah. I'm happy to consult. On okay. <laughs> See what I can remember, but I'll give you the best ones. All right. Um, but yeah, a lot of, you know, the the depression, I guess, that is happening in the beginning there is is familiar feeling mm-hmm. from that stuff. And back then they didn't call it, you know, one PTSD. It was, mm-hmm. uh, well, World War One they called it shell shock. Shell shock. Yeah. Um, and then World War Two they called it uh, combat exhaustion. <laughs> yeah. Another, like, kind of, that sounds like just a really friendly euphemism right. <laughs> for, like, a terrible, terrible. Right. Just, he's tired. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, um, what are you working on now? I have a, another book coming out in June, June 26th. It's called What Blooms from Dust. Um, and it takes place uh, 1935 during the Dust Bowl. Um, and it's... You know, you're not have, supposed to pick your favorite baby, but I, I really like that. <laughs> I really like that one. Um, 
And then I'm working on a book now that I have to have done by March. Uh, it's called uh, The Last Call at the Tuscany Hotel, and it takes place in a fictional town uh, called Gandhi, California, um, right after World War II. The main character is a soldier with combat exhaustion. But it, it takes place at a hotel that his father built that was a you know huge, fancy hotel during the 20s and before. And, but it's kind of a Renaissance hotel. The, ho- the hotel's themed on art and mm-hmm. you know religious art, art from the ancients. Um, and something, I can't tell you exactly what, at the, at the hotel happens. Would, there's a big fountain in the middle of the piazza the, in the courtyard. Uh, um, and then the main character's father, who has Alzheimer's, drinks from it. And then his memory comes back to him. And the next thing you know, um, there's elderly people with Alzheimer's who start showing up at the hotel. And the, and the hotel that was closed down before the war now starts coming back to life. Um, so it, it's it's a story. It's, you know, again, a little bit of magical realism. But um, you know, the whole call, the, the you know, last call, it has something to do with when the hotel thrived. Um, with last call every night, but it, now it's going to be kind of the last call. For, mm, yeah. So I haven't quite figured it all out yet. I, I need to do so pretty quickly because it's due in up two months. <laughs> <laughs> well, it sounds good. <laughs> I'm excited to read it, and I'm excited to read the next one too. Um, and it's just been really fun to like watch your writing career mm-hmm. take off. Um, so I think when I first knew you, didn't you have a novel out? I did. Yeah. But that I, I self-published a couple. Ah, uh, okay. That must have been one. That I wish I read that one. That I wish didn't exist. Oh, well, I won't talk about it. Then. <laughs> but part, part of it, um, I think, if I wouldn't have self-published, you know, maybe if I didn't have something physically in front of me, that mm-hmm. maybe I would have given up. I don't know. Um, I have hundreds of copies of those in my house. <laughs> 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 and you're not supposed to burn books, but uh, the I don't know what to do with them other than why I use them as doorstops. Uh, I don't know, but I think if I wouldn't have self-published those, I would. I don't know. I I think just having those helped me keep going on. Yeah, uh, and eventually it worked out. Yes, it did work out. It's just, it's been really cool to see. Actually, just um, yeah, I didn't even realize that was self-published, but um. I remember reading that back then and as I've always written too. And so I was just like, my tennis coach is the coolest guy <laughs> ever. Like he's also a novelist. Um, and then and a screenwriter, yeah. a produced a screenwriter. Right. Do you want to talk about your, the movie a little bit? Yeah. Um, well, I have, I have one movie. Well, I've written several screenplays, but one's been made into a movie called uh, second serve. Um, but the two, two ND. And we did that because when you look it up on iTunes, um, you know, if you're just scrolling for a movie, you can start from A and it goes. And, but if you have a movie that begins with the letter, it starts before A. Uh, the original title was Tan Lines. And we thought, <laughs> you know, who is going to scroll all the way to the T? <laughs> um, but we that was like three or four years ago. We shot that locally um, with some really... Uh, good character actors mm-hmm. from you know 
Guillermo Diaz from Scandal and Kevin Sussman from Big Bang Theory and Josh Hopkins from Cougar Town and uh, Cameron Monahan from Shameless and he's also in Gotham. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Um, with screenplays though, I've written several that I think could be real, really good movies. It's just hard, so hard <laughs> to, to get a to get a movie made, and um, and I enjoy writing screenplays, but sometimes those are a little bit more like work. Mm-hmm. Whereas I have to write novels. Uh, that doesn't seem like work at all. I love I, that's my passion. Well, then you should be fine getting this next one done in a couple months. I should because right? yeah. uh, <laughs> I I wrote. Oh, all things bright and strange in four months. What? Mm-hmm. Seriously? Mm-hmm. That's and then uh, what blooms from dust? The publisher actually moved the uh, release date up months in advance, and they asked if I could deliver. I uh, don't know. Uh, <laughs> but I wrote that in three months. Oh my gosh! It just you know how they say that. What wrote, is your secret? It wrote itself. <laughs> yeah. It, essentially did um, I don't know that book just came out making sense and I didn't yeah. have to do a ton of revision on it um, so I'm excited about that one that's awesome I need some of whatever you're eating like yeah. <laughs> it's coffee two cups in the morning huh. that does it shoot I'm doing that <laughs> but <laughs> maybe I need two more in the afternoon just like get it going and it's also important <laughs> I find but this book's holding me back a little bit because I think it's the one I'm writing now. It's uh, I think it's going to be really good. It's just very uh, convoluted and I haven't quite figured it all out yet. Mm-hmm. Um, but I have a way. When I write, I just I put my foot on the gas pedal and go, mm-hmm. even if stuff doesn't make sense. Um, and a lot of times, halfway through the book, I might, you know, think of something that didn't happen in the first half and just run with it from there, knowing that I'll go back and, and change it. Um, instead of, you know, trying to go back and make everything perfect as you go, I try to get that first draft out mm-hmm. as, as quickly as I can. Um, and then I fix, fix everything as I go. I like to think of it like, you know, pulling a thread through. I might, you know, write the first draft and then the second draft I'll, you know, take a couple of threads, whether it's a character or plot, and I'll pull, I'll weave those through. Mm-hmm. And then the next draft, I'll do a couple other characters or plot lines and weave those through. And eventually everything makes sense. With yeah. the help of editors, of course. I've got a great editor. <laughs> <laughs> right. Make, we'll make sure you credit them <laughs> too. But yeah, with All Things Bright and Strange, like the, the pacing feels so natural. And I think pace is like often a major downfall of a lot of books right. that I otherwise really like. Mm-hmm. Um, it's something Stephen King does pretty well, except for sometimes at the end, it gets a little yes. wacko with the pacing. <laughs> but, yeah. um, but this just, it felt like paced so perfectly. And um, that's got to be hard to do, I think as a writer, or just, it seems like it is something that is really difficult. Well, um, I don't know. I, it's important, especially in the beginning, to make some, sure something moves pretty quickly. And I, I, I like the pacing of it. I, you know, I've had a, several, I guess a lot of people off NetGalley, they get early, early copies of it. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because it's different for everybody. I've had several people say it started off slow. Um, but then I have other people say, and it, 
you know, the pacing was great. And the, you know, so I guess it's all different with depending on who reads it. But um, I try to make them move fairly, you know, fairly fast. And because, um, you know, personally as a reader, I don't, you know, that's what I like to read. I don't like to get bogged down and wonder when this chapter is going to end. <laughs> um, you want you want to try to leave each chapter with them wanting to read the next one. So I, I think it's something too. After you know several books, you get you get better at, yeah. at the pacing. I've seen that you've gotten some good reviews lately. Yeah, um, got a great one from Publishers Weekly and Library Journal gave a starred review. Uh, which is my, that was my first start review. So it was Yay. pretty cool. Um, so hopefully every library in the country will order a few copies. <laughs> um, and then book list. I got a great review from them. Um, RT book review. I mean, I, I so far all the, all the, uh, you know, trade magazines and national, uh, great reviews. Um, unfortunately the, I looked on Amazon. <laughs> And have one review, you know, the book's not out yet, but yeah. someone read it early and just bashed it. Oh, no. <laughs> but it was a very conservative, you know, oh, Christian well, reader who didn't appreciate a lot of the, believe it or not, didn't appreciate the tolerance. Well, as okay. a, You know, uh, which I found kind of funny, but <laughs> <laughs> so I can't wait till it comes out. So, uh, so other people can start right. reading reviews that aren't that one. Yes. Listeners, uh, when you get this book, immediately yeah, leave go to review. Amazon, <laughs> review it. We're going to cancel out this, yeah, this right, crazy one. <laughs> right now, when you click on Amazon and, and look at it, it just, there it is. <laughs> okay, somebody leave it up. <laughs> well, uh, I'll do my best to get rid of that one. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll cancel it out. All right. Well, um, so again, All Things Bright and Strange is out January 30th. And where can people get it? Anywhere? Anywhere. Anywhere. Um, yeah, anywhere where books are sold, and if they don't have it, they can order it, mm -hmm. and it, it'll you know it'll be on every uh, uh, ebook format. So I got I guess you got the Kindle, obviously, mm -hmm. and the, you still have a Nook, and uh, the Kobo, or yeah. you know all, all those ebooks. It's it'll be on there. It'll also be on audio. Um, in March, it will be large print, hardcover. Mm -hmm. um, so. Pretty much every format you can find it. Oh, awesome. Well, and I highly recommend it. I did get to read it early and loved it, loved it. So that should be your go review. get it. Go on Amazon and say loved it, loved it. Okay. <laughs> Enough, said. <laughs> Enough said. All right. So January 30th, go get it. All right. Thank you, James, for being here. You're welcome. This has been great. Thank you. Okay, that was a great interview. Good job. So what's on the blog, what's guys? What's on the blog? Um, on the blog is, uh, well, Emily is doing a, a blog about the Golden Globes ceremony. And how everyone's going to be shwasted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and I and the Golden Globes haven't happened yet as of this recording, so I'm not exactly sure what I'm going to say yet, because that's going to be totally in response to whatever the fuck happens. Yeah. So... Stay tuned. And but hopefully it'll be up by now. you'll have a shame on you list of all the people who didn't wear black to do <laughs> the mm -hmm. um, Me Too movement. I will. Yes. Good idea. Um, so other blog things. I wrote a blog post about I, Tanya, um, 
which would be one of my honorable mentions, honestly, for this year. So yes. I basically just wrote about how much I love it and how it sort of like reclaims Tanya Harding's story. So you can check that out. Uh, and America's Next Top Model is coming back like right now in a couple. Well, actually, it's already happening when you hear this. So get ready for some recaps from me. Also, on that. Riverdale's coming back. Riverdale's coming back. <laughs> <laughs> So, <laughs> so recaps will recommence. Mm-hmm. Um, any other blog posts, Emily? Do you? Yes, I'm also doing a book review of the life-changing manga of Tidying oh, Up. I failed at that actual book real hard. Ooh, there's a manga? Mm-hmm. Yeah. A manga about the KonMari method. That's awesome. Well, I'm going to I'm going to try I want I'm going to try and see what happens and let you guys know. I only did one of the things. <laughs> you do. <too. laughs> I gave away a lot of my clothing and then I was like, "Oh, papers? No, thank you." <laughs> I did the the folding method and if they want me to is... get rid of my books, it's not going to happen, but They do. Well, yeah. Spoiler, they do. Um, so next time on the podcast, we will be talking about the Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo by Taylor Jenkins Reid. This is my pick. I have not started it yet, but <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm already done. So me too. Look, I have two more weeks to read it. As do you, listeners listening right now. You have two weeks to read it before our next podcast. And please read it because uh, mm-hmm. I'm very excited. There's a lot of fake celeb oh, gossip. That is so my jam. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's very fun. Yes. Can confirm super fun read. I'm ready to talk about it. So if you're looking for a fun read uh, with a really pretty green cover. Oh, the cover's so cool. With poorly, poorly photoshopped blonde hair, I have to just say. I just have to put that out there. I don't know shit about the design, and I thought the cover looked awesome. So if you also don't know shit, take it from me. Um, So follow us on social media. Um, please. We are at Book Squad Goals on all the things. Book Squad dot ink. I-N-K. I-N-K, like a squid. Like a squid. Is our website. And you can email us at booksquadgoals at booksquad.ink. I-N-K, like a squid. And please subscribe if you haven't subscribed. What, like, why wouldn't you? If you're listening to this right now, like, what's the point of not subscribing? You're just making things yeah, hard for you, yourself. It'll download on its own. I heard if you subscribe, you magically can tell everyone's voices apart. Yeah. Ah, what a sweet prize. I heard that too. <laughs> I also heard that you go to heaven if you subscribe. <laughs> And um, <laughs> and if you don't, you'll have five years of bad luck. And you'll go to hell. Um, so if you – please subscribe. And then also please give us a rating and review us on iTunes. That really helps us find new listeners, which is a resolution for us this new year in 2018. Yes. And thanks for listening this year and for sending us questions and stuff. And just yes. being supportive because you guys were also the best of 2017. <laughs> yes. Yes. So true. So please keep interacting with us. Ask us questions. Usually if you write us any kind of question or comment, we will probably read it if it's more than just like, cool, exclamation point. We will 100% read it, likely. And we'll probably respond. Oh, you mean read it? I was like, we'll read it. We probably will read it on the podcast. No, read it aloud on the podcast. You could be famous. Yes. Like us. We will definitely. (laughs) Also, we, you know, we got a message the other day. It was like, hey, can you recommend a horror book for me? And you're like, hell yeah, I can. Yes. All right. So from 2018, 
This is Book Squad Goals signing off. Bye. 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 Yay. Thanks, guys.